Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. So as we did sing, God is our provider. He loves for us. He loves us. He cares for us. He is the glorious one. He's the perfect one. And, and he does provide for us. We could probably spend the rest of today saying, what are you thankful to God for? And you could all come up with reasons that you're thankful to God for. But there are times in our lives where life is difficult. There's times in my life and in your life where you ask God for help, you're asking God for an answer to prayer, and he doesn't answer. There are times where you're asking for God for help, and he says no. And your life falls apart, and your health falls apart, and your finances fall apart. And suddenly you look around and say life is incredibly horrible. Life is garbage. Why doesn't Jesus do anything? Why can't we see the work of Jesus in our lives? Especially when it's difficult, especially when it's hard. Why can't we see Jesus doing anything in the midst of our suffering in this life? As we're in the Gospel of Luke here this morning, Dr. Luke, who is a physician, trained for years and years and years, highly intellectual, highly thoughtful, Dr. Luke. He uh, took a break from sharing the story about Jesus, and he pivots back to John the Baptist. We're in chapter 7, and if you, if you know the Gospel of Luke at all, jo- Luke's chapters are gargantuan. They are some of the longest in the Bible, right? He has chapters that are longer than books of the Bible. In fact, we spent three weeks in Habakkuk, and uh, Luke has chapters longer with more word count than the entire book of Habakkuk, okay? Uh, He has these massive, massive texts. So all the way back in chapter 3, which seems like, oh, seven to three. Yeah, but in Luke, that's a, that's a long distance to cover. All the way back in chapter three, he told about John the Baptist. And now John the Baptist was incredible. He was a prophet of God. He was a little bit older than Jesus by a few months. Uh, in fact, he was so uh, enthused about Jesus, he was foretold to be the forerunner of the coming Messiah, the Christ, the forever King of God, who would come and make all things new. Uh, he he met Jesus while he was still in his mother's womb. And when Jesus in Mary's womb came, he leapt for joy inside his mother Elizabeth's stomach. So excited. That's how enthusiastic he was about Jesus. John the Baptist, while he he was uh, baptizing in the Jordan River, a little bit different than our baptism, he was baptizing for the repentance of sins. It was an incredible thing. People understood this was a prophet of God. They hadn't heard a prophet of God for 500 years, and so they came out in the wilderness to see John, and he was baptizing people in the River Jordan for the repentance of their sins. And it was incredible because people were coming publicly, declaring what their sins were, and being baptized, saying, I turn away, I want to follow God's way, I am ready for the Messiah's work in my life. And as Jesus came, John sees him and says, Behold the spotless Lamb of God, the one who has come to take the sins of the whole world away. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. He is excited. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah. He knew it since he was, he was before he was born. Well, he's still in his mother's womb. 
this is the long-awaited Messiah. But then, because he was outspoken, he called sin, sin. He got in trouble with Herod the Tetrarch. Tetrarch is a fancy word that means quarter king. So you're not a full king. You're a quarter of a king, right? Like, I guess it's better than most of us, but still, quarter king, it's kind of, yeah. So he, was a te- he, he got in trouble for calling out sin in Herod's life, and Herod imprisoned him. And that's where we pick up the story here. Chapter 7, verse 18, it says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. That's the work of Jesus. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? That's interesting. Let's analyze this for a second. Why did John have to send out some messengers? Because he was in jail. Uh, and like our jail today, they typically don't let you go out to, you know, make a personal visit, uh, typically. Uh, so he had to send out two messengers from jail to go see if, to, to ask this question. And it's a very, very uh, uh, shame-based culture, ancient Near East, more of an Asian context than our Western world. They don't come out and say, did we get it wrong? Are you not the Messiah? They say, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Very polite, very polite, because they don't want to shame him. Why do you think John is having doubts that Jesus is the Messiah? Because he's in prison right? Think about the idea of the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come. He is from the line of King David. But unlike David, he will reign forever and ever. His throne will have no end. He will be king of kings and lord of lords, and his kingdom will go on forever and ever and fill the world with glory and majesty, and all power and all glory belongs to him. And John was his prophet, He was the one who told people, the Messiah is coming, prepare your hearts. And so think about it. If you are serving the most powerful person ever, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one whose kingdom shall have no end, the one who has no end to his power, and you're stuck in prison? I think John's thinking like, wait a minute, Jesus, if you're really supposed to be the Messiah, if you're the Christ, if you're the forever king, if you're the powerful one, why am I suffering here in prison? Now, you might kick John for a little bit for for being so doubtful, but really the reality is, is that all of us have felt that, haven't we? Your marriage is falling apart, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray for God to heal your marriage, and he doesn't. Ends in divorce. Are you really God? Do you really love me? Why can't I see you doing any work, Jesus? Why does it look like you're doing nothing? You can't stand your job. You hate your job. And you pray that God will make a change. You pray that God will take management out of the situation. You pray that, that, that maybe he'll give you a raise so that your finances will be better. And God says, no. Come on. Why can't we see Jesus doing anything? Aren't you Jesus? Aren't you God? Can't you change it all right now? And God says no. Or he's silent. Why can't we see Jesus doing anything? Or maybe you or yourself have a disease or medical condition and you ask God and he does nothing. Why can't we see the work of Jesus? Why can't we see the work of God? 
That's what John's saying in a very polite way. Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Verse 20, and when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now, why, that's interesting. This question is mentioned twice. Why did Dr. Luke, a highly trained physician, uh, now a, a classical historian, why did he write that down twice? Why do you think? I think because, one, it's important. And two, he's highlighting how doubtful John feels. We all have doubts. We all have doubts. And they are strong, and they are real, and they are difficult. Why can't we see Jesus doing anything in our lives? That's what John's asking. That's what he's asking his disciples to ask Jesus. So Jesus, it's interesting. Uh, that's a simple yes or no question. Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another, right? And the answer is either yes or no. Does Jesus give a simple yes or no answer? No. Does Jesus ever give anyone a simple yes or no answer for the last 2,000 years? No. <laughs> Not in my prayer life anyways. <laughs> There's no simple answer. So instead, Jesus turns, verse 21, in that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who are blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Use your imagination here. How long do you think it, it took Jesus to do all these miracles? So the disciples, the disciples of John come, and they, they ask him the question, and then Jesus kind of smiles, and he goes off and he does these miracles. Right? How long do you think it took? Yeah, give me a, just throw out a number. A few hours, all afternoon, a day, maybe two days, I don't know. It's a long time. He didn't give him a simple yes. It's a simple yes or no question. He just makes him wait. He smiles and says, well, let me show you. Are you the Messiah or is, there, or, or is there someone else coming? And Jesus shows who he is through these miracles. Because for Jesus, action speaks louder than words. When you have folks and they look at the Bible and they say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, first of all, he did verbally a number of times. But second of all, more importantly, over and over and over in Scripture, he is showing who he is by doing what no one else can do because action speaks louder than words. And so rather than say, yes, go and send them, he says, let me show you. And so the message that Jesus has been proclaiming, repent and believe in the good news of the gospel, the gospel is in your presence. The Messiah has come. He shows them who he is by his actions, not merely by his words. Now, so, John's disciples go on their way, or about to go on their way. What does Jesus do next? Does he turn to his own disciples? Does he turn to the crowd and, and look at John's disciples and go, can you believe these guys? Come on. Like, you guys haven't seen everything going on. The reports, I've fed 5,000 people, and they have the audacity to ask this question? <laughs> Some guy, what a prophet he is. 
Is that how he responds? No. John very politely <laughs> said, I don't think you're the Messiah. I don't think you are. And how does Jesus respond to John's doubt? Does he belittle him? Does he make fun of him? Does he, he, uh, he just cast him out and say, well, John got it wrong. He, here's another leader, spiritual leader. He had it going well, and then he just went off the straight and narrow. No, it's incredible what he says. Verse 24, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and living in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messengers before your face who will prepare your way before you. So he, like, praises John, first of all which is an incredible thing, and I find it incredibly comforting. When we have doubts, and they are serious doubts, like John wasn't, it wasn't just like an evening doubt that he had where all of a sudden he said, oh, I wonder if Jesus is the Messiah. No, he seriously doubted. He had, like, he was stewing over this, probably for months. So much so that he finally couldn't take it anymore, and he had to send a messenger out. He's thinking, how do I ask him without being offensive? And, and, and how do I ask him in such a way that if I'm wrong and, and my doubts are proving false, that, that he's not going to kick me out of his kingdom forever? Oh, he's stressing. And finally, it gets so bad, he has to send somebody out. He has been stressing over this doubt forever. Forever. And yet Jesus says you went out to go see a prophet. He doesn't chastise him for his doubt. He says you went out to go see a prophet. And he kind of teases the crowd. Why'd you go out to the wilderness? Because John, where he was baptizing while he was doing his ministry, he was out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know what the middle of nowhere for you guys is, but it was in the middle of nowhere. And he teases them. Do you go out, go out in the middle of the wilderness to go see a reed? And everyone's like, hey guys, get your walking sandals on. Let's go see grass. Woo, right? No, of course not. Oh, did you go out to see someone wearing nice clothes? Was it a fashion show? No. You go to palaces to go see people's beautiful clothing. No, you went out to go see a prophet. This guy eating locusts, wearing camel skins. And by the way, why did he wear camel skins and eat locusts? It's because no one would support him in his ministry. That's how radical he was. It's not like he was making a fashion statement. That's all he had. But yet people still traveled out there because they innately understood God is at work through this man. God is at work through him. Um, let's take a break here real quick. Uh, have any of you ever met any celebrities? Who, name drop. Who have you met? Bill Clinton. Okay. Who else? John Bon Jovi. Ooh. All right. Who else? Ooh. Yanni? Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Who else? Shaquille O'Neal. Wow. Wow. Who? Oh, wow. Who else? Jesse Eisenberg. Cool. All right. Anyone? Can anyone top anyone that was mentioned already? Billy Joel, all right. You just topped yourself. 
I don't know, Billy Joel and John Bon Jovi, you guys are going to fight here. Shaquille O'Neal, I mean, those are kind of at the top here. Anyone, anyone do better? I don't Bill Clinton, though, most powerful man of the world for the eight years, so that's, that's a lot. Anyone else? Anyone else? Ac- no. Axel Rose's mom? <sighs> Rupert Murdoch? Wow. All right. Who'd you meet? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Anyone else? Martha Stewart. I don't know. That might be the winner. <laughs> right. And, and, and when you have met those, I mean, I've met a number of celebrities. I remember we were getting on an airplane and Henry Winkler was in first class and he smiled at us. He smiled at us. Right. Wow. The Fonz smiled at me. <laughs> It's incredible when you meet a celebrity, especially someone you respect, all of a sudden you're not like, I don't know, it it just, it changes the way you look at that person. No one goes and they watch a TV show and then they go and tell all their friends, hey, I was watching Harrison Ford in in this, uh, you know, movie and everything and, you know, he was really, his acting was phenomenal. No, you know, no one really does that all that much. But if you saw Harrison Ford in in real life, you'd go out and say, I saw Harrison Ford. My wife and I, we were in Washington, D.C. one time when George W. Bush was, was president, and, uh, and they had the whole street shut down, and we didn't know why, and, you know, Secret Service and police just, like, just wait, just wait, just wait, and we were waiting, and, uh, and one of our family members was complaining, like, oh, it's probably one of these politicians, <laughs> complaining about everything, and complaining about every politician you can imagine, and then all of a sudden, motorcade comes by comes by, George W. Bush is waving, and he's like, it's George! (gasps) I'm telling you that story because in-person relationships matter. That's why the people traveled out to go see John the prophet, John the Baptist, baptizing at the Jordan River. They could have heard stories, they could have sent someone, but they went out to see what was happening because they wanted to experience God. We understand that relationships happen most deeply when we are in person. Those of you men who are married, I know how you proposed to your wife, right? I do. I know that you did not send a note. I know that you didn't send an email. I know that you didn't send a text message. You didn't scrawl it on a napkin and leave it and then take off, right? No, you did it in person because in-person relationships matter. And so here, Jesus is saying, I know why you went out. Why did you go out? Did you go out to see a celebrity? No. Did you go out to see grass? No. Uh, You went out to see a prophet who was the forerunner of the Messiah. In-person, incarnational relationships matter. They change, they transform. That's why you came to church today. I know we can watch it online. I know some of you watching online. That's your only option. I got it. But look, we know when we meet in person, something always happens. There God is in our midst. And then Jesus goes on. It's incredible. He doesn't condemn John for his doubt, verse 28, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Keep that in mind next time you have your doubts and you're filled with shame that you doubt the God of the universe. You know what? 
Doubt is a normal part of faith. The word faith just means trust, and we choose to trust God. That doesn't mean you don't have doubts. That doesn't mean you don't have times where you're like, maybe, maybe this isn't real. That, that doesn't mean you, you question whether God's good or not because he's not giving you what you want in your life. You have those doubts. And you bring them to God, just like John the Baptist did. Jesus praised him. Among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Wow. I'm okay with saying people, you know, like, like Billy Graham is greater than, than me, is great in the kingdom of God. You know what I'm not comfortable with? I'm not comfortable with saying that the guy who, who uh, spent his entire life scamming old ladies uh, from their money on the internet, that that guy is as great or greater than Billy Graham because that guy repented of his sins and followed Jesus. That's hard, isn't it? Isn't it? That when we repent of our sins, we are transformed fundamentally and the person who spent their lives scamming or hurting other people, that that person can also become into the kingdom of God. Jesus just turns everything around. And I'm not always comfortable with that. What? Why can't we see Jesus always doing work? Why does it seem like there are times that Jesus is not active, Jesus is not working? Why can't we see the work of Jesus? We get to the heart of the reason right here. Verse 29, when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So as soon as Jesus said all of this, the people understood. The people who had gone out to see John, they repented of their sins publicly. They said, yes, this is true. Yes, this is good. But it says the Pharisees, they couldn't believe it. They went out to go see John the Baptist, but they weren't baptized by him. They heard that there was a commotion going on at the Jordan River. They went out, but they refused to repent of their sins like everybody else. They refused. Why couldn't the Pharisees understand that John was a prophet because their expectations were wrong. I bet you the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they went out because they thought, they thought that the prophet of the Messiah would see them and say, ha ha, behold, the one has come. Look, it's them. Good job holding down the fort, everyone. Everyone, these are the heroes of the faith. John didn't do that. He told them, you have to repent of your sins too. And so they couldn't see that John was a prophet because their expectations were wrong. Why couldn't John, for a time, see that Jesus was the Messiah? Because his expectations, for a time, were wrong. Why can't we see the work of Jesus in our lives today? Verse 31, Jesus continues. He says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another. That calling translation, that, that's kind of a rough word to translate there. I'll read it in the sense that Jesus meant it. <clears throat> we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist had come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and yet you said, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. You say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. 
So, so Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. He says, John, John lived the most, most teetotaling life in the world. He didn't smoke, he didn't drink, he didn't chew. He didn't do anything fun. He just wore camel clothes, which has to be itchy, and he ate locusts. Yum, yum, yum. Right? And you guys said, wow, look at that demon. Wow. You called him a demon. He says, meanwhile, Jesus, he comes here. He comes to the wedding at Cana. He turns water into wine. He is interacting with people that you won't even talk to. He's having lunch and sharing meals with people and telling them to repent and, and believe in the good news of the gospel. And you guys are saying, wow, look, Jesus is a glutton and a drunk, and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously a sinner. That's why he's hanging out with them. He's hanging out with the tax collectors because he wants to scam you too. Jesus is saying, you are like a bunch of whiny children. Let me ask you guys a question, those of you who spend any time with children or are parents yourself. Is there anything worse than whining children? Actually, there is one thing. It's when you are serving the children and they are whining about it. And I don't mean like you're making food so that they can live. They don't understand that. I get that. They're just, you know, they're a bunch of ingrates. But I'm talking about when you're like, you know, I don't know, taking them to Legoland, for example, and you're doing this thing. You don't want to go to Legoland. You would rather do a thousand other things, any other thing. In fact, you would like to do something that doesn't require consciousness, like take a nap, anything. And you're taking them on this thing, not for yourself, but for them. And what are they doing? Ah, they're whining about it because you're not doing exactly what they want to do in that moment right there. The problem and why the children are whining and why all children whine is they have different expectations from their parents. They want one thing, you want another, and so they whine about it. And Jesus is saying the Pharisees and the unbelievers not the people who have doubt, but the people who've never believed are like a bunch of whining children. Because here I am, Jesus says, he is revealing himself as God. And the Pharisees are like complaining about what Jesus is doing. That's not what the Messiah does. No, you got it all wrong. Ah! Right? Come on. It's like some people online when they're talking about whatever, whoever's in power in Congress or the president, they're like, that's not how a president's supposed to act. <laughs> It's worse, though, because we're whining at God. It's worse. It's like the Pharisees, you're like a bunch of whining children. You're saying, it's not how the Messiah is supposed to do it. And yet, he's, Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. This is how you do it. <laughs> I am God in human flesh. This is how it's done. <laughs> and yet, they whine about it. Jesus says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. He says, yes, there are people who will whine about it. Yes, there are people who can't see the work of God in their lives. However, wisdom will be proven right by her children, meaning there are people who will recognize God. There are people who will recognize Jesus as the one who was and is and will come again. There are people who recognize Jesus as the one who takes away all of our sins, and they will prove that Jesus is right through their trust, through their belief. They will see the work of Jesus through their work, through their lives. Here's the problem. Why can't we see the work of Jesus? And that is us on any given day. I am just one tragedy away from not being able to see God working in my life, okay? So I'm not, I'm not throwing myself out of this and throwing you down. No, the reason we can't see the work of Jesus sometimes is because our expectations are wrong. We expect Jesus to do one thing and he does another. I honestly, I feel 
Like the purpose of miracles is that God will show me that he loves me if he does a miracle in my life, right? Fill my bank account, heal my body, heal my family, right? Then, then I will know that God loves me, right? That's, that's what my feeling of miracles should be. And I know you're powerful enough, God, and if you just loved me, you'd do it. But we forget that's not God's plan this side of eternity, this side of Jesus' return. John 3.16, for God loved the world like this. He gave his one and only son, so whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. If you ever doubt that God loves you, look to Jesus on the cross. If you ever doubt that God loves you, look to Jesus on the cross. God loves the world like this. He gave his one and only son. The worst thing that could ever happen in your life will not happen because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He can't possibly do anything better. He is resurrected from the dead. He is ascended into heaven and he is preparing a place for us in the new heaven and new earth. Right now, we still live in a fallen world. Right now, our bodies will decay. Right now, we will have diseases. Right now, we will have financial trouble. Right now, we will have jobs that drive us crazy. Right now, we will have hardships, Jesus said, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He is working in our lives right now. He will sustain us through the hardships. And one day when King Jesus comes back, he will make everything new. He will wipe every tear from our eyes and we will live in the life that we long to live in. But for now, There is suffering, there is hardship, but Jesus is working. Our expectations for God are sometimes so wrong, we can't see God because our expectations have shifted away from who God is and what Jesus is doing right now. His primary goal right now is to make more sons and daughters, to bring them into the kingdom so when King Jesus returns, the kingdom is filled with brothers and sisters in Christ. That's his main purpose. And sometimes we can't see that. I mean, think about your own lives. if you've ever had a boss before that has expectations that don't align with yours, what happens? So let's say your boss says, all right, I want you to meet all your clients today, spend an hour with each and every one of them. And you're like, I've got 50 clients. What happens to your relationship with your boss? Maybe you're the boss and you have workers. And, uh, and, and you, you have different expectations. Your expectation for the job is that you work with the clients and you contact them by phone and their expectations are, uh, I, I send emails out all day, right? What happens if you have different expectations in your work? Your relationship goes down. Or think about uh, parents with teenagers, right? Not any of your teenagers. This has never happened in the history of humanity before. But imagine that there's a teenager, right? And they think that it's mom and dad's job to fulfill all of their needs, to let them do what they want, and to stay out of the picture so none of their friends think that they're uncool and still live with their parents or anything, uh, and that their parents' sole existence is there to improve their lives and to make them happy, right? And then the parents, they think that their purpose in their child's life is to build their child's character and uh, to help them to become a productive member of society and a follower of Jesus. And they're going to do that however they can. What happens when these two expectations come together? Healthy, healthy uh, relationship between parents and kids? No. What happens? Fight. Conflict. It just explodes. That's what happens often I think with us believers, we have these expectations for God and they're not what God is doing in our lives right now. They're not. 
And we think, wow, you know, God, he's, he's my magic genie. First thing, I'm gonna wish for infinite wishes, get that thing out of the way, and now we're gonna go for the real stuff. Now I'm just, we think of God as a magical genie, and that's not what he's here for. We think that God is here to, to make my life totally comfortable in all things, and that's not what he's here for. We have all these weird expectations. We think of God in this, in this bizarre way. And I don't know, there's, I don't know how many people are here today, but I bet you we've all got some weird, bizarre ideas of what God is obligated to do in my life. <laughs> and what happens when your expectations for what God should do in your life and who God actually is come into conflict, then we have doubts. Then we walk away. But Jesus says, yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. Why couldn't the Pharisee see John as a prophet? Because their expectations for the Messiah were wrong. Why couldn't John, for a brief time, not see that Jesus was the Messiah? Because his expectations were wrong. He didn't understand that before Jesus was coming in to bring the new heaven and the new earth and to reign in power forever and ever, amen, that first Jesus was going to build a kingdom for himself. First, he had to deal with our sin issue, which is what Jesus is currently doing right now in our lives and in the world around us. He didn't understand that then, after that, King Jesus would come in glory and power and set up his kingdom visibly forever and ever. Amen. Wisdom is justified by all her children. So my suggestion for you this morning is recalibrate how we see God. Well, how do you see God? How do we recalibrate all of those images? Well, a couple things. Well, oh, ah. I'm pointing it this way like an idiot because I know it's back here. Let's see. Oh, I didn't put, wow. Okay, anyways, this is all my fault. <laughs> okay, I didn't put it up there. But one, first, first of all, understand who God is and who he's revealed himself. Read scripture, okay? And I think the best place you can go to is read the epistles. Read through the epistles. Ephesians is a good epistle to go through. First and second Peter are good ones. Uh, first and second John, third John too. Read through the epistles. See what, who God is revealing himself to be and how we should live our lives. I think that helps recalibrate it. The second thing is praying. We need to pray and, and spend time in focused prayer so that we are saying, God, you are God and I am not and I submit myself to you. And, I, and even if you have your doubts, God, I doubt you, or God, I'm not happy with this, or God, I wish that you would do a miracle and you're not doing a miracle. Like say all that in prayer, but at least say it in prayer. Have that relationship with God. Don't be passive-aggressive with God. We're like, I'm not going to talk to you unless you do what I want. You're never going to win your fight against God. Never going to happen. You're angry at God? Go to God in prayer and tell him you're angry. If you're frustrated with him, tell him you're frustrated. If you have your doubts, tell him you're having your doubts. One of the things we've been working on is try praying. So if you remember, over the summer, I asked uh, this church to submit ideas or prayers that we could have in a prayer book. And then over the summer, every week, we had a focused prayer for unbelievers or people who weren't in church. And this is the culmination of that. So there are two weeks worth of prayers plus the Lord's Prayer. There is also the message of salvation in here. Uh, here's the deal. Those people you've been praying for all summer long, hand this to them. Or you can get an extra copy. We have tons. Don't feel bad about taking multiple copies. Take as many as you want. There's a whole bunch in the back there. There's a box filled with them. 
uh, and there's another box filled with them in my office. Take as much as you are led by the Lord to do. Two weeks, you can have one for yourself. Go through it. It's going to take you like two minutes to go through every a prayer a day. Don't rush it. Do a prayer a day. See what happens. I think the brilliance of this is, is that we are asking people to spend two weeks in prayer to God, and then ultimately, whether God shows up or not, that's not on you. It's not on your presentation skills. It's on God and them. This is a pretty simple way that we can say, hey, have you tried praying? Are you without hope? Are you full of fear? Are you angry? Try praying. So I would encourage us as a church, starting today, let's go through this prayer booklet ourselves. And I would also encourage those of you who you've been praying for, hand it over to them. You'll also note there's a QR code up there. And uh, if you scan that here, uh, that will take you to our new website. There's still some things working out, uh, but it will take you there. You click on the Try Praying. You can download a PDF in portrait mode for your phone or in landscape mode for your desktop. And you can send people that way. Uh, pretty soon, we have actually in the back, we've got a bunch of yard signs. Not a ton, but if you wanted to put one of those up in your yard, take it, put it into your yard, and as long as you keep it up, leave it. If you want to bring it back, if you're like, okay, I'm done with this, bring it back so we can put it up somewhere else. We are going to have a bunch out here this morning. However, it rained all last night. <laughs> and that just wasn't going to happen. Uh, but this is a simple way that we can recalibrate our expectations for God when we go to God in prayer. And these are prayers. that I, I did not put a single prayer in here. These are all prayers from this congregation, from your hearts. I appreciate all the work that you put into it, all the work the elders put into it in, in going through and helping work through this. Um, spend time in prayer. And then lastly, uh, obey. Obey God. So you read, so you understand who God is and who he's revealed himself to be, not who you want him to be, or not who you expect him or demand him to be. You spend time in prayer, and then you also obey. If God is telling you to stop sinning, find, and you can't stop sinning on your own, find help within the church. Say, hey, I have this sin. Keep it confidential, but I have this sin. I can't stop struggling. Can you walk alongside with me? We will. If, uh, if God is calling you to uh, personally to reach out and serve within the church, within the community, and you're not doing that, reach out and do so by all means. Start serving. I think through service, uh, we are ultimately transformed. I think through obedience to God, we are transformed. So if you can't see the work of Jesus, read your Bible, pray, and then obey what God is telling you to do, then you will see him then you'll see the hand of Jesus working. Yes, we live in a fallen, dark world, but if you understand who God is, you can see the hand of God working if your expectations are right. You can't see Jesus working if your expectations are wrong. Make sure you are worshiping the God who has revealed himself in Scripture and that you follow him with your whole heart. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us as a congregation. I pray for myself and all of us. Father, we put weird expectations on you and demand things of you that you never promised us. Because we understand you're not trying to make a bunch of spoiled children. You are trying to make sons and daughters that will rule with you in the new heaven and new earth according to your word. I don't fully understand what all that means, but you've revealed it in Scripture, so we trust that it's true. Help us to not be like the Pharisees and stop 
Instead, help us to be like John the Baptist. That when he has his, had his doubts, he went to you. And he expressed those doubts, and he had his doubts calmed. I pray, Father, in the midst of our doubts, that uh, we don't fear our doubts, we don't pretend they don't exist, but we, we bring them to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We share them to you so that you can comfort us as a good father does. Help us, Father, to be changed and transformed. And I pray for this, this Try Praying campaign that we're going to have going on from now until Christmas, really. That you will use this to change and transform our community, our friends and our neighbors, our loved ones, and even ourselves. Father, you know how weak we are. You know how powerless we are. But we also know how powerful you are. So we pray. We pray that you will take whatever we put forth, you'll add your power to it so that more people can repent of their sins and trust in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbcterrytown.org.